several weeks ago, several, ooh, okay. <laughs> They're still working a little bit. In case y'all don't know, we sound very different up here in the chancel area to each other than we do to y'all out there. I can never tell if y'all can hear me out there or not. So when you look at me and smile, are you, are you not or something, it's really helpful to know that y'all are encouraging me. But we choose our passages for sermons ahead of time. And in case you don't know, there are passages that we sermon, we preachers would rather not preach on. We'll avoid them like the plague. Like what else is there for us to preach on? Today I'm going to talk about an odd little parable in here that we oftentimes avoid. I chose it months ago because I felt like it was what God laid on my heart, but the closer the Sunday came, the more I kept saying, let's do something else. So just know that sometimes your preacher is preaching what God has reluctantly said, need you to go do that. Our story today is out of the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read the first nine verses. It is a parable that is often called the parable of the dishonest manager. May God add to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration, because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to him, said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me for, as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first one, How much do you owe my master? And he said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said, take your contract, sit down quickly and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This one is just an odd story. Like, what is Jesus talking about? What is he saying? Let's note a few things right as we begin. First of all, the rich man doesn't just hear that the manager has been dishonest. He either has already looked into it and discovered he is, or he believes and is willing to act on the fact that it is true, because the decision to remove him from the position has already been made before he ever has the conversation with the man. The rich man also gives the manager time. Now, I don't know about you, but my first thought is, if you are mishandling things... I'm going to show you the door. I'm not going to give you time to go do more mishandling of it before I put you out. Be like, thank you very much for your service. You're no longer be needed. Um, Donald here, security, is going to walk you back to your office while you pack your stuff and go. No, he gives him time. And then he goes and in my mind makes it worse. He's letting people off without paying what they owe his manager. 
And the manager knows he's about to be unemployed. And he's going to have to do something. He's got to work. And he says, I, I can't be digging. I can't be digging ditches and I don't want to beg. So I've got to figure out what I'm going to do from, from here. And the final note we want to take is that this is a parable. Jesus loved to teach with parables and stories. But with a parable, there is one point that we need to get. Far too often, we try to turn them into allegories where everything means something and stands for something. And if we do that, we can sometimes twist the nature of God into something that God is not. The parable has one point to make to us. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the point that we're supposed to get from this story? Is it that everybody's crooked and so it's okay to be crooked too? Because you could, but that's not consistent with the rest of what Jesus taught. Jesus said, don't even have to swear. Don't have to promise people. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5.34 When the fruit of the Spirit are given to us in Galatians 5, we're told there's no law against any of this. Like nobody has to make a rule. You can be generous and thoughtful and kind and And we're also told that we need to be law-abiding in as far as we are able to be. The only time we are given the choice of disobeying the law is if the law contradicts the law of God. God's law supersedes humans' laws. But otherwise, we're supposed to be good citizens of the area where we find ourselves because that brings more honor to the cause of Christ than being dishonest. Which is why this story then becomes a little bit confusing for us. I believe the point of this story is about how we use the resources that God places in our hands. How will we leverage those resources? And to whom are we most loyal for the way we use the resources? Now don't mistake the fact that the rich man praises this dishonest manager. And Jesus seems to as well, but that would not be the whole story. Jesus is not the rich man. He is not the land owner. Jesus is telling a story. The New Living Translation puts it really interestingly. It says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being shrewd. And the Message Translation says, streetwise people know how to look after themselves. So we're talking about how do we look after ourselves and our best interest. Jesus is encouraging us to use our resources well. Now I need to say that not everything that happens to us is the will of God. Clergy very often cringe when people say, well, everything happens for a reason. Yes, But sometimes that reason is somebody else made a bad choice. Not because it was God's will that that happened. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters lean more into God's predestination of will. We Methodists lean a little more into free will. God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for our church. But the accomplishment of that plan requires our cooperation our cooperation with every step and every moment of that plan. And sometimes we don't cooperate. 
And when we don't cooperate or when the choices of others impact us, God then becomes active in redirecting, nudging, urging, opening new doors to try to make that plan still happen, to get us back on track. That's what it means when the scripture says, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to God's purposes. Not that everything that happens is good. That's certainly not true. But that God always wants good for us. Is always working for our good and trying to bring that good in spite of our resistance, in spite of the impact of others. And so we find ourselves in a place where we have to choose to cooperate. Sometimes I feel like in our desire not to make evil the will of God, we might lean too far toward implying that God is unable or unwilling to be active in our lives. But when we pray, we're inviting, we're imploring God to be active and to use us to be active. Yes, there's truth in that prayer does more to change me than it does the other situations sometimes. Sometimes finding words, finding ways to say what's on my heart, what's troubling me, gives, changes me. It helps me hear it out loud and change. But we also believe that God is involved. We're saying, Lord, help us, show us, use us, bring this about. In the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Show us your plan. Use us to accomplish your plan. And I believe that very often that plan involves the use of the resources that God brings into our hands. Where we are today is a combination of our choices and the choices of others that have had an impact upon us. And then I believe that God blesses us as much as we are able to receive in that place. God gives us resources. Now, when things are bad, really bad, very often the only thing we can see are the choices of others. Why did that happen to me? Why do other people do that? Why did God let that happen? But why, why bad things happen to good people is not our topic today. Our topic today is why do good things happen to good and bad people? And what are we supposed to do as a result? When things are good, too often we only see our own choices that have gotten us there. We will hear ourselves say things like, well, we just pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We worked the long hours. We studied hard. We went to the networking events and made those relationships. We did it. It was the mistake of the Laodicean church in Revelation 3 that they thought they could do it on their own. And it is our human tendency to try to do it on our own. But God is with us. God is working with us and among us and through us. What if? What if you had those boots because God gave them to you? Because God moved somebody else to provide those boots for you. What if God enabled you to work those long hours, gave you the brain cells to remember all that you learned? 
who brought you to a field you loved and were passionate about so that you could excel in it? What if he nudged people to like you, to accept you, to give you a chance in that circle of influence? And what if he did it, not just out of love, which he does, loves you so very much, but what if he also did it so that you could have a role in the church and the kingdom of God? What if he brought those resources into your hands so that you can release them for the work of God in this place and in God's world? I have a dear friend who is of the Jewish faith. And we used to go eat frequently because her two younger children were the age of my two children. And when we would go eat, I would say the blessing at the beginning of the meal, and she would say a blessing at the end of the meal, which our kids thought was just unreasonable that we have to pray twice over a meal. But the Christian tradition is we bless our food before we eat. Her tradition, growing up in the Jewish faith, was they prayed at the end of the meal. Her grandmother, who had been in a concentration camp, taught her that. That it comes from the verse that says, lest when you are full and satisfied, you forget the Lord your God. When we have much, we often forget that what we have, we have at the hands of God. I'm reminded that Abraham was told at the very beginning of this journey of God choosing a people that he would bless Abraham to be a blessing and that through him all the people of the world would be blessed. He was to be a channel of blessing. Not just blessing for Abraham's descendants, but blessing for everyone through him. I remember another Bible story. story of a young woman for whom things are a little bit difficult. She finds herself in less than an ideal place. She is a plural wife, married to a foreign despot, while her people are enslaved. And because she is in that position, she comes to know about a plot for genocide to wipe her people out. But if she uses that position to do something about it, it may very well cost her her very life. It is risky. And her uncle Morty says, perhaps you are where you are for such a time as this. It's the story of Queen Esther. Going from an enslaved Jewish girl to being Queen Esther who has to risk all to save her people. What if God blesses us and gives us resources for such a time as this? I don't know if you heard on the news this week, a new study is looking at the trends for Christianity, and Christianity is declining in our country, and they are predicting that within the next generation, we will be a tiny minority of people. Now, my deep concern about that is not that we might not be the dominant religion and be able to exert the most influence over the culture. My true heartbreak over that is because what that means is that people are living and dying without a relationship with God. I believe to the core of my being that this life is better when we walk with Jesus because we have hope and we become part of a plan that is bigger than us and because life is more abundant and free with Jesus than when we just try to do it on our own and we certainly need Jesus for the life after this one. 
And if we are a tiny fraction, it means only a tiny fraction of us know that and have that relationship and experience the great grace and love of God. And one of the reasons it breaks my heart is because I am convinced that God has given us enough. Philippians 4.19 says that God will supply all of our needs according to His riches. I believe that there is more than enough water on this planet that nobody ought to have to be thirsty. I believe there is more than enough soil and farming knowledge that there should be enough food for every person on this planet. And I am convinced because of Scripture that there is more than enough in the hands of God's people to accomplish the will of God in this world. God has given us all we need. If we don't have it, it's because we haven't yet released it from our personal storehouses to be used and leveraged for God. It's still in someone else's hands. Because I don't believe that God is withholding from us I believe God longs to bless us and to see us accomplish His will. To see people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. To live in that forgiveness. To experience that life more abundant and free. But we sometimes can't release it. We're afraid to release it. We're afraid it will cost us our lives if we let go of part of what we have. But the Bible teaches us that generosity begets generosity. When we give, when we release what God has given us, God blesses us and gives us more. And others are blessed through what we release. And more comes our way and we become a channel of blessing. But the opposite is also true. Hoarding begets hoarding. A scarcity mentality is contagious. And it grows a little bit like a wart. Do you know that if a river or ocean has no outlet, it becomes a dead, a dead sea. As a child, we went to the Great Salt Lake. And they talked about how it all flows in and all the salt piles up. And I was very excited because it was like you'll float in it. But there were all these bugs around the edges because everything died. When we went to Israel, we went to the Dead Sea. And sure enough, you do float. You float in that. It has no outlet. But things can't live and thrive in that. Life flourishes in flowing water, in living water, the Bible calls it. Where the water comes in and the water goes out. When we become a place where everything stops here and we block that flow, it actually kills life instead of causing it to flourish and grow. So here's what I would say. If you want to be happier, if you want to be more satisfied, if you want to find your place in this world, lean into God's purposes. Get more invested, not less. That wasn't just a fading battery. That was like, you're done. 
If you want to get more satisfied with your church, lean in more. And that's not just with money. There are all sorts of resources. It's about volunteering. You want to see us accomplish more in Anniston and Calhoun County? Get more involved. Volunteer for more. You want to see us make good and decisions and accomplish more? Lean into helping us lead. You want to see us have more small groups, more opportunities to grow in the faith? Lean into helping us lead those and teach those and facilitate those. If you want to see our world government do better, lean into that and get more involved, not less. When we withdraw, we become a place where the blessing stops. We become an obstacle and we thwart the will of God and the work of God that could come through us to what is happening. The scripture passage this morning tells us that the people of the world know how to work this and they do it better than we tend to. They seem to know how to look out for themselves. The message translation says it in a really interesting way that they know how to take care of themselves, how to use their wits to survive. Adversity causes them to engage in creative survival. The message says that Jesus says, I want you to be clever too, but I want you to use it for good. I believe sometimes we forget all that we have in our hands our own abilities, the resources that have come to us, the circles of influence and the people we know who can help us accomplish what God has given us. Because God wants us to be loyal to Him more than to ourselves. The resources, the blessings we receive, we get to experience those blessings, but we receive them to release them so that we can take care of all, so that the will of God can be accomplished. And when we do that, we will have the respect of the world. They may not like us all, but they'll respect us as honest, hardworking, decent people. They'll experience Jesus. We must leverage the blessings of God for the accomplishment of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Gracious, almighty, and loving God, remind us of your many blessings to us. Though we are often afraid to release what you have given to us for fear that there won't be more, help us to trust that you are with us, that you are the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer, That there is no end to your riches and glory. And you can provide far above all we can ask or think. That you have given us more than enough. If we will leverage it for your will. This we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.